The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Would you pray with me once more? And Father, we do believe your word, and your word is truth, and that it is through your word that you sanctify us. And so as we spend the time this morning in study and examination of this, we do ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us see how these words apply to us today, that you would work and move, that you would have your way here among us, that you would accomplish your purpose in our midst. Draw us near to you, form and shape us, mold us more into the character of Christ for your glory. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. As we have been working through the book of the prophet Amos, Amos was really an extraordinary man extraordinary. And I think that we could emphasize the ordinary part of Amos. But he was one that God used in mighty ways, in extraordinary ways. And in the chapter that we're studying this morning, it's my hope that we will be challenged, that we would be encouraged in our trust of God, and in God's ability to use us for His kingdom and for His purposes. And again, I I emphasize how ordinary Amos seemed, a herdsman, a dresser of sycamore figs, a, a farmer, but one devoted to God. And I want to begin by asking this morning, If you believe that God could use you in the way that he used Amos, in powerful ways like Amos was used, even getting the ear of the king, a herdsman and a farmer, bending the ear of the king, depending on how you answer that question of whether or not God can use you as he used Amos, I would ask you further, what's the limiting factor? What is it that's lacking? If anyone had an excuse, it would likely be Amos. Standing up against an influential priest, standing against the king of a nation, And who was he for such a high calling? And I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Corinthian church, that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, that God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, that God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. For what purpose? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God works through these means. God works through people like you and I. He he saves people like you and I, undeserving for His glory. That he would get all of the credit so that no human being might boast in his presence, all glory to God. Now, the counsel of the world goes something like this. Don't sell yourself short. You are capable of greatness. 
That's not my message this morning. And that's not what I want us to see from God's Word this morning. No, what I want us to see is that we are to not sell God short, that He is great, and that He can accomplish great things, even through you and through I, to the praise of His glory. This morning, we get a, a, a bit more of a look at Amos than what we have seen so far in the preceding six chapters. We get this look into Amos and, and his interaction with God. And we get this look into Amos and his interaction with God, then how he interacts with the people that he was called to minister to. Even when they didn't welcome him, even when they opposed him. This great look into the life of Amos. And so that's what I want to do together this morning is to look through Amos chapter 7 and to see this man who, who was powerful in his devotion to God, to see this man who was powerful in his prayer to God, to see this man who, who was so powerfully persecuted but then also who continued to powerfully proclaim the Word of God. We see three times here in Amos 7, starting with verse 1 being the first account, this is what the Lord God showed me. We see it repeated in verse 4, this is what the Lord God showed me. And then the third time in verse 7, this is what he showed me. As I said last week, we were really finishing up one part of the book of Amos, and chapter 7 is starting a new section in Amos where we've moved from these proclamations of woe, woe, woe. And now from 7 through 9, we're going to see the visions that Amos received from God. We have Three of them in chapter 7, this is what the Lord God showed me. We have one in chapter 8, this is what the Lord God showed me. And then in chapter 9, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. So we're going to see five visions in these next three chapters. And what I want us to see in this with these visions that Amos received, Amos gets this wonderful insight into what God is doing or what God is planning to do. Visions from God, these are special revelations that, that God gives individuals. And he shows them what they are to do or what God himself is about to accomplish. Sometimes both of those things go together. This is what I'm about to do, and this is what you are to do. And Amos is in a place where he receives these visions from the Lord. What a blessed gift this is from God. Now, it put him in a very difficult place because then he needs to speak these forth. He needs to stand for the truth that's been revealed to him, and it puts him in opposition against the, the world. But what intimacy with God that he has to be able to receive these visions. The first vision, which starts in verse 1, is about these locusts that are coming in to consume the crops of the land. Then the second vision is of a fire that would come in and consume the land, even burn so hot that the, the water under the earth, under the surface of the earth, would be dried up, would be destroyed, devoured. And then starting in verse 7, the third vision of the Lord standing beside a wall that was built with a plumb line and the Lord himself holding a plumb line in his hand. 
And as the Lord is revealing this to Amos, He's showing Amos that Israel is leaning like a a level. That's the purpose of a plumb line. It shows a standard of vertical. Israel is out of kilter. No longer in line with the standard of righteousness that the Lord has established, but tilted away. And the Lord is revealing these things to Amos, and as he does so, there's interaction. Even as we read through chapter 7, we see that there is interaction between Amos and the Lord. There is communication that's taking place. A vision itself is, is a revelation, something you're getting to see, getting to witness that God has opened up for you. There's inquiry. There's response, questions, and answers. And I want us to see in this that Amos is a man who is devoted to the Lord, a man who is in relationship with the Lord, a man who is powerful in his private devotion to the Lord. I was thinking in the New Testament about these different accounts of of visions that the Lord gives. Does anybody recall the disciple named Ananias? Do you remember Ananias in Damascus and what he was called to do? The Lord reveals to him a vision concerning Saul. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute believers, to eventually even bring them to their death. And Ananias knew about Saul. Saul had a reputation. And the Lord reveals to Ananias that Saul is coming, and this is what I want you to do, Ananias. I want you to go. I want you to lay hands on him, and I want you to pray. Ananias is called, in Acts 9, a disciple. He's called a disciple, one who was a fervent follower, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And he's given this vision. And even in Acts chapter 10, the next chapter, we have Cornelius. And we're told some significant things about Cornelius. He's described as a devout God-fearer. He's one who was generous. He's one who had the reputation of being a prayer warrior. All of that is right there in Acts chapter 10. And he receives this vision about Peter coming to preach the gospel to him. And yet at the same time, Peter is receiving a vision while he's taking time to pray in Joppa. He sees this sheet descending from heaven filled with all sorts of animals, and God is teaching Peter a lesson that everything he has made is clean and nothing is to be considered common or unclean. And this was in preparation for him to go and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. In Luke chapter 1, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, He was going in into his service in the temple, and in that place he receives a vision. An angel appears to him, and he has a vision. And this is as he was carrying out his service in the temple. Reception of a vision isn't based on a person's devotion necessarily qualifying them. I want to be careful about that. If you're devoted enough, God will give you a vision. But there's no doubt that in many instances throughout Scripture, we're given insight, even as we are with Cornelius, with Peter, with Ananias, with Zechariah, that there was a devotion to the Lord. There is a person's private devotion. And we've seen this with Amos as well. 
Amos trusts and obeys. He goes and he speaks hard words, words that are going to make him unpopular. But he is so devoted, so committed to the Lord and to obedience to what God has given to him. There's this great private personal devotion. He's not a perfect man, no, but he's one who who listens to what the Lord would say. And then he's one who carries that out. He's one who obeys the Lord in his life. Even as we see in this chapter, further down in verses 14 and 15, he's a herdsman. He's a farmer. But when the Lord called him, he listened, he obeyed, he went. A man devoted to the Lord God. And even this vision that he receives leads him in to prayer. It drives him further in his devotion to the Lord. He's a man who is powerful in prayer. And that's really the second thing I want us to focus on. Not only is he powerful in his private devotion, but he is powerful in prayer. Look with me at verse 2. As Amos sees this swarm of locusts and all that they devour, when they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Similarly, in verse 5, when he sees the fire devouring the land and the great deep, the waters, even under the surface of the earth. Oh, Lord God, he cries out, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. He receives these visions from the Lord God, and his response is to pray. Remember, Amos wasn't from Israel. Right? Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. And Amos had his home in Tekoa. He was down here in the south. And though this was once one great nation, they had become divided. So Israel, the nation that Amos was called to go to and to preach to, it wasn't really hometown for him. But even so, when he sees the judgment that God shows him in these visions that God would execute on Israel, he cries out, No, Lord God, please forgive. Please cease. Jacob is so small. He can't withstand that. This is a heart of compassion. He's not angry. He's not spiteful. No, even those who would hate him, he shows compassion toward. Even like our Lord Jesus, when he was crucified, he pleaded, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amos has the heart of Jesus. These people that he has been called to to preach to, even to prophesy against, but he has a heart for them. He doesn't want to see their destruction. No, he wants to see their repentance. He wants to see them turn and trust in the Lord and begin walking once again in obedience. Lord God, please Forgive. His first instinct is to turn to the Lord, to seek God's forgiveness, to seek his mercy so that God might spare Israel. He directs his prayer to God, to the Lord God. If you're looking at an NIV translation this morning, the NIV translates it as sovereign Lord. 
I just want you to get the idea here. Lord God, you are the one who is in control, the one true powerful God. Not just an empty and undirected prayer crying out. No, he's directing his prayer. Lord God, you are the one that I cry to. You are the one to whom I direct my prayers. It's a cry to the Creator God, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who knows all, who sees all, who sustains all, who directs all. He is the sovereign Lord. And given the direction of his prayer, who he was praying to, we see there's great humility in his prayer as well. Please forgive. Please cease. Oh, Lord God, please. There is a pleading that Amos expresses, and there's a great humility. He doesn't try to command God. No, he recognizes the power of God, but he knows also the character of God. Please forgive, Lord God. It's in your nature, it's in your character to do so. This is how God even reveals himself. He reveals himself to Moses this way back in Exodus 34. Joel chapter 2 with the swarm of locusts that came upon the land in that time. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. All signs and shows of humility rend your hearts and not your garments. Joel says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. And as Amos prays, Lord God, please forgive. Lord God, please cease. And we see in verses 3 and 6, the Lord relented concerning this. This shall not be. Amos, I've shown you this vision of of what I would accomplish. But Amos stands before the Lord pleading on behalf of the people of Israel for forgiveness, for God to stay his hand. And this relationship that he has with the Lord God, the Lord relents concerning this. I was going to do this, but, but now I am not. Because our God is gracious and merciful. Do you remember when we went through the book of Jonah? Jonah, this reluctant prophet, the one who went to Nineveh, only after the, the Lord really directed him there. He tried going in the opposite direction. But he was reluctant because he knew what the Lord was like. As Jonah goes through and he preaches to the city of Nineveh, and the people repent in Jonah chapter 3 verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And Jonah says, I knew it. I knew this is what you would do. In chapter 4, verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew this of the Lord, and that's why he was so hesitant to go to Nineveh, because he, unlike Amos, was not a man that was filled with compassion 
not a man who exemplified the love of Jesus. He didn't want to see the people of Nineveh spared. And he said, I knew that if I went and preached and they repented, that you would turn from the disaster that they were coming to. This is in God's nature. This is in God's character. That when there is a coming to Him in humility, in prayer, that God turns an ear that He listens. He invites us to seek Him through prayer. And He welcomes us when we do. Church, this is a sure sign of a godly life. This response to trouble or to difficulty or or to bad news, even like Amos was receiving these visions of disaster, he was turning to the Lord God in prayer. Or even good news that we turn to the Lord in prayer. And I think this is why Paul can charge the the Thessalonian church to pray without ceasing, because there's always something to pray in regards to. Good news or bad news, every occasion is an occasion to pray. And Amos here, this knee-jerk reaction It was so a part of him that he sees these visions, and his response is to turn to the Lord God in humility, but in powerful prayer. Amos was seemingly ordinary, but he had an extraordinary ministry because of his fellowship with the Lord. His time of private devotion... His time of prayer filled his mouth with words to speak. It gave direction to where he should go. It empowered him. It emboldened him to stand for righteousness and for justice. Even when righteousness and justice were deserted, when they were distorted, even at the highest levels of society, which is what we've seen all throughout the book of Amos. Righteousness and justice turned to wormwood, turned to poison. Things that should not be calling wrong right and right wrong. But Amos has this powerful ministry in personal devotion, in private prayer. But also, look what comes for Amos as he walks in faithful obedience to the Lord. Verse 10, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Now, understand what's taking place here. In Israel, there were now two places of worship, Bethel and Dan. And Amos was going in to Bethel and preaching And in Bethel and Dan, there were places of worship where golden calves were set up as the objects of their worship, of their false worship, of their idolatry. And Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, he's in cahoots with King Jeroboam, the king of Israel. And here comes a a shepherd, farmer, preaching, and he's getting all kinds of attention. Amaziah, likely the most powerful priest in Israel, and he turns and he reports to the king of Israel what Amos is doing. Amos is ruffling the feathers up pretty high in society, this shepherd, farmer, And so, Amaziah communicates to the king about Amos, and this is what he says, Amos has conspired against you, king. There's a conspiracy, king, 
against you in the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. 4, verse 11, thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. There's a twisting. I want you to see this. There's a twisting of what Amos actually says. Amos does not say that Jeroboam shall die by the sword. No. Instead, it is verse 9, the house of Jeroboam that God would stand up against. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. But Amaziah takes that and he tells the king, he's threatened you, your life, saying you are going to die by the sword. This twisting, this distorting of Amos' words, and Amos now is suffering, enduring persecution. Amaziah accusing him even falsely and telling him, look, verse 12, O seer, I don't think he meant that as a compliment, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, eat bread there, prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. Don't you know where you're at? This is the king's sanctuary. Don't you know what house you've stepped into? This is a temple of the kingdom. Amos, you're out of your league. Go home. Go back to Tekoa. Go back to Judah. You don't belong here. We don't want your words. We don't want to hear your preaching. Go. Flee away. Run away. Run home is what Amaziah is saying to him. It's a command that Amaziah is giving. It's an imperative. I'm telling you to do this. Not a suggestion. You might think about leaving Amos. No, Amos, this is what you are to do. We might even say, by the king's command. Amaziah had the ear of the king. Go, flee. It's a charge. It's it's a command. Amaziah even has the weight of the government behind him. Be quiet, Amos. Don't show your face in Israel anymore. And what would Amos do? What would Amos do? I had to be reminded this week by a brother in the congregation, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the words of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amos is in that company. Amos was persecuted, but he had great reward in heaven. Peter, writing to the churches in Asia, In chapter 4, I'm going to turn there and and read this passage to us. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Don't be surprised when fiery trial comes upon you. If you're standing for righteousness and you're met with opposition, with difficulty, don't be surprised. It's to be expected. In this life, you will suffer persecution. It's a promise. You can put it on a coffee cup. And have it as a reminder every morning. Put it over the door of your home. Make a little plaque. As you walk out in the morning, in this life, you will suffer persecution. But alongside of that, the words of Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be glad. Now, I had to be reminded of this because going through some trial, some tribulation in my, my life, I haven't been rejoicing, been down about it, discouraged and, and frustrated. But where is my hope? And where is my joy? And to know that even in this, I'm, I'm getting to keep company with the prophets, men like Amos, persecuted for righteousness' sake, that God looks upon me and says, blessed, blessed are you. A different valuation, a different estimation. Blessed are you. People in very prominent places were standing in opposition to Amos and threatening him. Amos, go away, flee. But look at Amos' response, verse 14. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs, but the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Please note, church, when you are one who is in private devotion with the Lord, when you are one who spends time in pleading prayer with the Lord, the threats of men aren't as threatening and intimidating as those men might hope they would be. Amos isn't intimidated. No, he's been spending time with the Lord God, the sovereign Lord. Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, stands up in opposition to him. Go and, and flee away, Amaziah. And Amos says, no, this is what God has commanded me to do. So Amos focuses not on what Amaziah had commanded him, but on what God had commanded him. A herdsman, a shepherd, a farmer, without formal prophetic training, but he stands up against the priest of Israel. And understand, this priest of Israel was leading them in false worship and idolatry. Verse 15, this is what the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Another command. Just like Amaziah had given words of command to Amos, go, flee away to the land of Judah. This is what the Lord God commanded me, Go 
prophesy to my people Israel. When you put those words up side by side and compare them, what words will you obey? Will you obey the words of Amaziah and disobey the words of God? Or will you obey the words of God? Amaziah's words stand in sharp contrast to God's words. And this again, it circles us back to Amos being one who was powerful in his private devotion, that his private devotion then begins to be lived out in public. He is one in relationship with God. And as one in relationship with God, it influences, it affects, it impacts the way that he lives, where his feet will take him what his hands will be put to, what words his lips will speak or not speak. This is similar to the early church when they were preaching in the name of Jesus and the most powerful council, the Sanhedrin, calls them and says, no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And what was the response of the disciples? Do we obey God or man? Now let's weigh this. Whose words do we want to obey? In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than than men. In Psalm 56, David has been captured by the Philistines, and he cries out, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David was a man devoted to the Lord God. David was a man that says, what can man do to me? They could take my life, but my eternity is secure in God, and my hope is securely placed in God. And I'm going to continue to trust in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, and God I trust. I shall not be afraid. Continuing to lift his eyes up to heaven from where his help would come from, from the Lord God. And even in this, Paul exhorting Timothy, his young son in the faith, and he tells him, preach the word I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Amos continued proclaiming the Word of God because that is what God had called him to do. That was the ministry to which God had called him and the ministry that God had given to him. You, Amos says, you have said this, to go, to flee, to no longer preach, but this is what the Lord says. In Amos 7, verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. You say, do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land. All of this would come upon Amaziah and his household. And Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Amos doesn't back down in the least. Amos, Amos continues to be faithful to speak forth the words that God had given to him. And Amaziah even receives a stricter judgment because of his opposition to Amos. And his opposition to Amos ultimately was an opposition to God. Amos was a man who was faithful, even with a hard message that he was given, but with a heart of compassion in which he proclaimed that message to the people of Israel. And I want to ask you this morning, church, will you act on what you have heard this morning and what we have seen together in God's Word this morning, being ones who devote ourselves to the Lord in prayer, who devote ourselves in private time with the Lord, who are steady in, in persecution and even regular in proclamation, speaking forth God's Word. This is God's Word, greater than the words of men. Remembering that it's unto the Lord that we work, not unto men, and that it is from the Lord that we will receive an inheritance as our reward. Paul tells the Colossians, you are serving the Lord Christ. That's a great privilege and an awesome responsibility that we have, church, to serve the Lord Christ to be in relationship with him, and to be in places where we get to be ambassadors for him, going into the world and proclaiming the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm even now at this time reminded of Paul's words to the Romans that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And Lord God, I pray that we would have that same boldness, the boldness that the early church prayed for, even when they were told to no longer preach or proclaim the name of Jesus and the gospel, when they were imprisoned and persecuted 
and threatened, that they joined together in prayer, and they asked for boldness. The church prayed for boldness. And Lord, this morning, your church prays for boldness. Would you grant to us such a firm conviction of the truth of your word? And would you fill us and empower us with your spirit, even as you promised that you would do, that the Holy Spirit would come in power so that we might be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Lord God, that like Amos, we would not back down from standing up and proclaiming the truth that you have given us to proclaim, that we would do so with hearts of compassion for those that we preach to, that we would have hearts desirous to see people turning to you in repentance and receiving your abundant mercy, your forgiveness. You are a God who relents from disaster. You are gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and in faithfulness. Lord, may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we be bold in proclaiming it into the ears of all of those who we have opportunity to speak to. And may our lives bear testimony and give witness and support those words that we speak to all of those who look upon our lives, that there would be great harmony and consistency with what we speak and how we live. Continue to draw us close to you, Lord God, in private devotion and in prayer, that we would be those that spend regular time with you to hear from you, to be able to go into the world and have our interaction with the world so impacted, affected, and directed by our time with you. Bring glory to your name, Lord God, through your church through each of us, the saints of God, as we live lives for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.